All right. Hi, everyone. Once again, I'm back up here. Um, <laughs> welcome once again to the Elm City Vineyard Church. As many of you know, my name is Kiana Joseph, and I'm the family pastor here. So that means I get to work with the children and the families here very closely, and I just love it so much. And occasionally, I'll pop my head up here to be with all of you. So welcome. So as someone who has attended ECV as an undergrad student, and then a grad student, and then a young professional, and now a pastor in this community, I have had my share of giving and receiving in a very costly way. I remember being like many of the undergrad students in here, whenever there was like a post-church dinner, I was like, I'm there. I think I went to ECV 101 like five times. <laughs> like, I know, don't do, don't do that. <laughs> but I did that. Um, and I also remember the day when I was like sitting with Hannah and we were like talking and we realized, oh wait, we're adults. That means we can contribute to these potlucks too. And so like, yes, I do remember the, the push and pull of community and all of that where Sometimes we give and sometimes we receive. And so I wanted to start today's talk with um, a story of this current season that I'm in in my life. Um, many of you in this space kind of know what's going on. There's just been some mysterious illness that just popped up in September and it has left my body wrecked. Like just constant physical pain, and just a little bit of answers. I have been in more doctor doctor's offices in the past seven months than I've been in my entire life. <sighs> and as I continue to take tests and give samples and undergo multiple procedures and be prescribed a plethora of pain medications, my doctors just keep saying, we, we don't know what's going on with you and a bill comes in the mail. The work to get a diagnosis has been costly, financially, emotionally, and physically. And as I've become weaker and weaker in this season, I've turned into like a little homebody and like I have a cat, so I'm like, I'm just the cat lady now um, <laughs> with my cat and a cup of tea. Um, but in that, I have turned a lot of my energy into, like, asking God, like, what is this about? Like, I don't have to ask the question of, like, why me or why this God? I just want to know, like, what should I be learning in this season? Because, like, regardless of if I want it to happen or not, it's happening. So, like, God, what, what should I be seeing from this? And I know that I won't get all of those answers, not today. Maybe it'll be years from now, maybe never. But God's really kind, Right? Amen? Amen? God's really kind, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of it. I'm going to tell you a little bit what's going on. Um, and the big thing that I've learned is that as I've been accepting these current limitations of my body, I've had to rely on many of you. Some of you in this very room have walked with me through this journey. You have prayed with me. You've sat with me in silence. Some of you literally laid with me on the ground. You've shown me a lot of grace. And you've given financially 
so that I can stay above ground. Cause you know, your girl, she got a lot of bills. Let me tell you, like, I'm gonna just stop giving them my address and then maybe they just, like, I don't know. Your girl, she just, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but yeah, I got a lot of bills. Um, and so yes, I'll forever remember this season. Yes, for the pain, the uncertainty, like even the fear, but I'll also remember the generosity that's been shown by so many of you. Mm, that generosity that we talked about earlier. So as I was preparing for this talk this week, I realized that this season of my life, it's just been marked by cost. Yes, physically, financially, all of these different things, right? But I've learned that this present suffering has made a way for God to show his abundance in my life through a lot of you. I've been reminded that I'm not alone, that all of us in this room, we're not alone because we have each other and we have God, right? In the past, I know myself, I would have put up a wall and been like, I have all this grief and nobody needs to be in my business because I'm living my life and da 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 with the head roll because I have attitude, right? <laughs> like, that's just Kiana, right? But like in this season, I was like, I can't actually do that. I actually just have to be honest. I have to be vulnerable. I have to let people know what's going on. And that, for me, has been costly. But let me tell you, there is like a good number of you in this room that knows the ins and outs of my bowel movements. Um, yes, you can laugh. You can laugh. It's funny, okay? <laughs> like, please laugh. Um, <laughs> um, and like, yeah, it's funny, right? But I think that that's like honestly worth it. I think that it's hard and it's costly but it may very much just be worth it. So next month, we're gonna talk a little bit more about healing in our next series, so come to church. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to open our talk with a very current example of me recognizing the cost of others that they've like made to support my wellness and also the cost that it's been for me to receive. I don't like people in my business, but everybody's in my business now. <laughs> Someone laughed, yeah, because it's true. Um, so, in the last couple of weeks, pastors Josh and Matt began our Resurrected Lives series. Together, as a church, we've been exploring what our lives may look like in the light of resurrection. Today, we begin the next part of our series by looking at hot-button topics. We're talking money. We're talking sex. We're talking parenting, and we're talking power. And so I jumped at today's teaching because for some reason, like, I'm just a weird girl and I like making people uncomfortable. And so I was like, what better way to do that than to talk about money? Like, come on now. Because it's actually just a really uncomfortable topic. Yes. We see here, too, like, some examples of, like, just a lot of wealth. The Kardashians, like, oh, my goodness gracious, right? But then on the other side of that, we have, like, even in our own city, how a couple months ago, the tent city where people in New Haven lived, it was shut down. Money can be an uncomfortable topic because it isn't just a form of currency or a unit of measurement. The amount of money that one possesses, whether it is excess or lack, has the power to determine a lot with our lives. Money buys us social capital. It opens up doors that may be closed to others who lack. There's a reason why sociologists don't just call it economic status. They call it socioeconomic status. Because we know that how much money you have can very much determine your standing in the world socially. 
There's a reason why I'm not friends with Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. And it's not because I'm too cool for them, which is very true. But <laughs> the reality is my post New Haven public teacher salary, now local church salary, um, gives me access to certain doors, but not that one. <laughs> And now, of course, please, like, please hear me in that. That's a generalization. Like, we see a lot of times people, like, beating that, and we, like, should champion that. Like, maybe one day, y'all, I will be up there with Chloe and Courtney, like, being friends, but for this example, right, broad generalization. So if money has so much of a significance in our lives, it means that we have to talk about it here in church. Amen? Amen. That was strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right? Because God has some invitations for us of how to be good stewards of what we have, what little or great we have. One of my favorite stories in scripture that makes me quite uncomfortable, because like I said, I'm a weird girl and I like being uncomfortable and making people uncomfortable, is this story of this man and he goes up to Jesus and he's like, teacher, what must I do to inherit, you know, this eternal life? All right? It picks up in Matthew verse 19, verse 17. So Jesus replies, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. Why do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. In this text, Jesus says some pretty tough stuff for those who have wealth. As he breaks it down to his disciples, we find that the situation isn't really about giving up everything. Jesus says it himself, that with God, it isn't really possible. So even if the man gave up everything, it's not the point of the story. The point is about the cost of following Jesus. And we know that following Jesus may mean doing exactly that, giving up everything. Living a resurrected life 
is living a surrendered life in community as an act of worship, and that's costly. When the man walked away from Jesus, he made a declaration with his actions that he would rather hold onto his earthly treasures and wealth than enter the kingdom of heaven. That makes me uncomfortable. Because most of us in this room, just by being in the United States, having clothing, having housing, and having some food in our bellies, means that we hold wealth. And like that man, if we were to ask Jesus that very same question, and if he were to answer in that very same way, would we be like that man or not? So we won't stay in that particular story today because I think we can learn some things from the early church. But I want to do two things before we continue. The first thing is I want us to breathe because talking about money can actually, like all jokes aside, can be very uncomfortable. And we have to remember that we are human beings and that like breathing is something that is good, right? We have to do that in order to live. So like everyone just like breathe in, breathe out. Let's do it again. Breathe in, breathe out. Okay, Jesus, you are here. You are with us. God, you are stronger than uncomfortable topics. God, you are stronger than our anxieties and our fears around money. You're just here. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in each and every one of us as I give this talk. Help us, Lord, to know what you are saying. Teach us what it looks like to be obedient. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start with the first part of this little sentence we got going on here. Living a resurrected life is living a surrendered life. Yes, surrendered. This is where we're going, okay? In this series, as we continue in the book of Acts, um, it's an account of the early church. And we talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago. But at this point in the story, Jesus, he's been taken back up into heaven. And his followers, they're waiting for his spirit to come. That little time between that is called Eastertide. That's where we are right now in 2023, right? We're in between the thing. And then Pentecost happens. And so I'm not going to read through the whole story of Acts because time. But I'm going to summarize here <laughs> that one day Jesus' followers, they're together. And then all of a sudden this like great wind noise comes and like splits the room. And then there's these tongues of fire that's like split up, split up and separated amongst the people. And in that moment, um, the first gift of the Holy Spirit that they start to use is speaking in tongues. And so there's like a crowd of people, you know, they're outside, they're chilling, and they're like, oh, look at all those people, they're drunk. And Peter's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Like, no, they're not drunk. Actually, this is God's promise to his people that he would send his spirit. And Peter goes on to share the good news of Jesus. And at the end of that day, 3,000 people repented and turned to Jesus and were baptized in his name. 3,000 people. That's a lot of people, guys, all right? 3,000 people's lives were instantly changed that day when they surrendered to the good news of Jesus Christ and chose to follow him. You see, these people, they had some sort of encounter with God's spirit, and they couldn't live their lives the same. 
They understood that when they were baptized into Christ Jesus, they were baptized into his death, and henceforth they were united with him. And in that unity, they were also united with him in his resurrection. In Romans, I just love this verse in Romans. It's Romans 6, it's dead to sin, alive to Christ. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. I just, I love in verse 13 the language of offering every part of ourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. That type of offering or surrender is an act of obedience and worship unto God. This is why we yearn to live a resurrected life. Because we know that before resurrection, there's got to be what? Death. For those of you in this space right now who consider yourselves to be followers of Jesus, we're going to do a little exercise. I want you to sit for a second. I want you to reflect on the faithfulness of God who brought you from death into his gracious light. And for those of you in this space who perhaps wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe you're curious, maybe you're resistant, I'm going to ask you to just kind of think for a second and just reflect about like this God that they're worshiping in this space, could he very much be the one that could actually take the death in your life and do something beautiful? In many of us, the moment that we decided and chose to follow Jesus, we were committing to a life of daily obedience. And yes, that form of surrender is indeed costly. But we've, we've come here and we've counted the cost and we hope and we believe that God is actually just worth it. He's worth the cost. And so in living a resurrected life from that death that we talked about, we offer all parts of ourselves, not just the little parts, all parts of ourselves, including our finances, to him as an act of obedience and worship as an instrument of righteousness. In the book of Mark, we see this type of surrender in a widow. Mm, I love this story. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus used this story as a lesson to show us what obedience and surrender looks like. In our giving, it's never really about the amount of currency. 
I want to say that again. In our giving, it's never really about the amount of money. It's always been about our heart posture and trusting the Spirit to lead us. It's always been about our obedience and willingness to surrender all that we have to him. And so this illustration of this widow, it begs to ask each and every one of us, first of all, are we giving in general? Are we giving for the right reasons? Are we giving out of guilt and shame or societal standards? Or are we giving out of a posture of worshipful obedience? So let's see what the early church does with these particular instructions. It's pretty cool. We're going to talk about community. Fellowship of Believers. This is Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. We see a little bit later on in Acts, something pretty similar. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, and there were no needy persons among them. From, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from their sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. In both of these passages, we see God's people living some pretty radical lives. Would you all agree? This is like pretty wild. They're selling their possessions. They're sharing all of their things with each other. They're meeting every single day to worship with one another. While all of this is happening, we see a few things. We see that people are being saved, right? People are encountering the living God and they're turning to him. We see that there are no more needy people. And God's grace being so powerful. God's provision is so clear in these stories. And what's really cool is that it's not his provision like with manna from the sky. It's actually just through his followers he's providing. And so this type of community makes me feel like one of two ways. The first way is like, wow, this is really exciting. This is really cool. Because a bunch of people, they're encountering Jesus and like, yes, that's awesome. Like there are no needy people. Yes, that's awesome. As someone who like is, wants just like everyone to know Jesus, right? This is like really cool to me because I'm like, yes, let's go, right? It's like very clear that the line of wealth that we saw in those pictures, like that in and out crowd, it's gone. It's done, right? We're all just like here together doing community. And there's no like, oh, you have to have this much money in order. Like the social capital, what is that? Out the door, right? So like that makes me really excited. 
And then there's that other part of me that's like not excited about this whatsoever, right? There's that part of me that um, I went to Quinnipiac and my freshman year, I lived in a quad and like disgusting and like I never want to do like that kind of social experiment again. I do not want to share a room with four other girls. Like no, right? Disgusting. So like that part of me is like, I don't want to share. <laughs> like I don't want to do that. And it's, you know, like, it's funny. You can laugh. It's okay, because it's true. But, like, wow. That says something about me, right? This part is actually just a struggle. Because although I have very much been like the unnamed folks at the beginning of the scripture who was, like, receiving and coming to know Jesus and, like, having no need, right? I've also been like Barnabas, where, like, I have things, and I have to make a decision. What do I do with this? But let me be clear. I'm not saying that Jesus is calling you to take all of your possessions and give it away to others. But I'm not not telling you that either. <laughs> Reread this at home. Um, <laughs> so, all right? But like, it's just true. But regardless of the amount of money that we're talking about here, we're being called into a particular form of surrender with and to community. And that can just be really hard. I think it could just be really hard, especially for a lot of us who grew up in this like Northeast context where we value individualism so much. And I'm not here to say like that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that makes it hard for us to see a community like this and desire it and like participate. And so, I'm gonna share a little story. A few years ago, I got some pics for y'all. My grandparents, they're great, they're great, they're great. Um, so a few years ago, I went to Grenada. Grenada is the country where both sides of my family come from. Um, I needed a vacation, and so I said, let me get a ticket and let me go to grandma's. So Grenada is this tiny country in the Caribbean, and when I mean tiny, I mean like it's the size of New Jersey. It's great, <laughs> it's a wonderful place. Um, I remember once Patrick shared a story of visiting Sofia in Costa Rica and there's like no street signs or addresses. It's like, oh, the tree, go by the tree. Like, it's very much like that. Like, I got to customs and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. And he's like, where are you going? And I'm like, my grandma's house. And he's like, all right, have fun. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's one of those kind of countries, okay? It's very strange. Um, but the next 10 days while I was there, I was there for a while. Um, I did like all the touristy things, but like with the advantage of actually being like a fake citizen, because I am a citizen, I, technically I'm a citizen. Um, but like, so I'm there and like we go into the market, we're like buying exotic fruit and I'm like, wow, I like got my accent back, it was really bad. They're like, you're not from here. And I'm like, what do you mean, man? And they're like, no, <laughs> you're not from here. Um, but it was like really great. It was a great trip. We um, got to see historical sites. Like I saw where my dad, the hospital where my dad was born. I saw the school where my mom grew up. Um, I went to my other grandma's house where I spent a summer as a kid. It was just like a really cool trip. And so this is like my like shameless plug, feed our tourism and come to Grenada. Hey. Um, but yeah, so it was a great trip. But the one thing that like baffles me about this trip is actually just how the people in Grenada live. It's just very hospitable. Um, every morning my grandma would wake up and she would make like a big pot of food. And it was really confusing to me because I'm like, all right, it's me, daddy, grandma, and grandpa. Like how much food can we eat? 
And by the end of the first day, I realized what was going on because we'd just be in the house, hanging out, you know, just chatting, and we'd see somebody walking up the hill. Grandma lives on a hill. And we'd be like, oh, is that uncle, da-da-da? Oh, yeah, hey, how you doing? And he'd come, and he would just come and eat and hang out for a few hours, and all right, see you later. And as soon as he's leaving, oh, auntie da-da-da's over here, and she's walking up the hill. And this was like every single day. It wasn't because we were like in town, a celebrity. Like, no, this was just an everyday kind of thing. This is how they do community. They're not invited, let me be very clear, right? <laughs> there's, there's no text message of, hey, I'm coming by. It's just, you're walking, oh, you know what, let me go to Joy's house, and they'll just go. Um, and that's really interesting to me because my retired grandparents, they don't have a lot, but what they have, they give. And they just give generously and they feed. It's this really bizarre thing where like, they were in here in America for 30 years and like that veil of privacy that we tend to have here, like they just shattered it. And they're like, no, we're going to do community this way. And it's costly financially, right? It's costly in many ways. Like sometimes you just want to be by yourself and then auntie da-da-da's coming in. All right, I guess we're hanging out, right? But they do this and they do this joyfully because they very much know what it's like to be on the other end. I've heard a lot of stories growing up about my family's struggles. Living in a developing country in the 70s, um, they were definitely impoverished and there was a little bit of political upheaval stuff going on. Um, it's very interesting, right? Because my parents are in their late 50s, but their um, island is only 50 years old independent. So if you do the math, you're like, oh, they were present during the revolution. Like there's stories there, right? Um, but they would share stories. Grandma just talking about how like, man, it was really hard. We couldn't feed our family. My dad often tells the story of um, during lunchtime, the kids would go home for lunch and then they would you know, go back to school. Dad knew there wasn't food at home. So he would go and find a pipe and drink water until his stomach was filled and go back to school. And this was just daily life. One particular story that really sticks out to me that I just, I think about constantly. It was a Sunday and they were at church and they were all about to go home. And the pastor's like, hold on, I think that like we need to take up a special offering. I don't know why, but let's pick up a special offering. So the music starts playing again, they pass you know, the can around and church is over. Everyone's leaving, and the pastor says, hey, wait, the Josephs, you guys come here. And so my grandma and grandpa comes with their five kids, and they go into the pastor's office, and he says, I don't know why I was supposed to do this, but I think this money is supposed to be for you all. And of course, grandma, tears in her eyes, she's like, we had no money left. We didn't know what we were going to do. That's just so beautiful, because that is the work of the Spirit the work of the Spirit through the church fed my family 40 years ago. And it's still very much that same Spirit, that same power that lives in each and every one of us. And I see that here. I really do. I think about Tuesday night home group. We've been here at the church for two years now, and I see how Mandy and Emily and Kelly and Laurie week after week do the cost of feeding our home group. And it is costly. Financially, they're doing this out of their own pockets. And it's not just the money, it's the time and the energy and the effort and the lugging the things around. But they do it, and they do it with joy because they value community and they know that it's worth it. 
And I've seen it with so many of you. There's just, this room is filled with just such generous people. I see it in the sacrifice of like, particularly there are some landlords in here who have like made sure that some of us have lived with like affordable housing. I see a lot of you, you contribute to the meal trains every time a baby is born or someone breaks a foot, right? You guys are ready with your lasagnas to come and just feed someone. I've seen it even in a group of undergrads who had very little resources still pool their money together to make sure that they blessed a family who was welcoming a little one. And it goes further than the people in this room. The money that we tithe goes to like all different parts of this city and the country and the world to further support the hands and feet of Jesus. I see how ECV gives supported and loved people in the depth of the pandemic. And in Sprouts and Roots, man, I see how we raise money, our little pennies and quarters, right? Like we collect that and it, and it means something because it means that there's money that's going to organizations that's bringing dignity to people across the world. That is what a resurrected life can look like, friends. And let me be clear, I am not here today to campaign about like, like a giving campaign. Like that's not my job. That is Josh's and Carissa's, okay? <laughs> That's not my job, but I will say, give to the local church, y'all. Um, <laughs> do it, and generously. Um, <laughs> but, but that's not my point for today, okay? My point is that, like, this is living a resurrected life. It's being with community. It's giving in community. It's not just blindly giving either, friends. It's entrusting the resources that the Lord has given each and every one of you with the hope and blessing that the Lord will see it as an act of obedience and will receive it as worship unto him. Because yes, that is what a resurrected life is. It's worship. I heard this particular phrase about 15 years ago. And like it, I don't know, it just carries with me. I just love it. Worship is not what we sing, but how we obey. Yeah, right, right? Let me say it again for the people in the back. Worship is not what we sing, but how we obey, right? I see these scriptures that we've been reading today, and I'm gonna be honest, they scare me because really they, it does, right? Because it calls us to live our lives in a way that perhaps we're not living our lives. But I also like feel the call to worship Jesus. I don't wanna come here every single week and just sing songs. I want to worship God, and I want to be obedient. So when I read these scriptures, I'm compelled to give. And I'm compelled to give with not just like, oh, like here's somebody, but like with joy, right? And to give generously. And I'm convicted to just not hold tight to my things anymore. I'm convicted to like look at my bank account and be like, hmm, instead of seeing the need, I'm looking at this, and I want to see how I can bless someone. That's worship, my friends. I wanna look at the money in my bank account and not be anxious, not like figure out like what society is doing with their money, not like my own whims of let's go to TJ Maxx, right? Which is great. I wanna be able to actually just ask God, what do you want me to do with this? And that's costly. As I continue to look at what obedience looks like in my life, in the same way that God calls us to Sabbath, he also calls us to give 10% of our income back. 
that hurts, right? Like that 10%, that's, that's, that's a lot of percents, right? Like that's a lot because on, let's be real, that could be the difference between your kids going to that really cool summer camp or not. It could be the difference between you and your friends going to Bonchon every week and hanging out and you going home and making some rice and beans, right? Or maybe even like something more serious, right? Those are like funny examples, but it's true. That is the difference, but it is costly and it is worth it. My obedience to God is more important than those other things. And I have to believe that God honors it. I have to believe that God honors our sacrifice and our worship and that he won't just leave us in lack. So I don't think that we could end today's talk without talking about the most uncomfortable story of uncomfortable stories in the Bible, um, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, you church kids know, (laughs) y'all. Woo! Let's go. I was sweating as I was reading this the other day. Uh, So this takes place in Acts chapter 5. It's 1 through 11. Um, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down.